Welcome to the Fabulous at 50 podcast, where we are changing the aging narrative. I'm your host, Joanne Newadak, and I'm thrilled to bring you stories that matter and celebrate your place in the world. As an advocate for lifelong learning, health, and women's empowerment, I believe it's never too late to live the life you've always imagined. Through lively and informative interviews with inspiring guests, we'll explore a wide range of topics relevant to our global sisterhood of vibrant, inquiring women just like you. Join me for today's episode and let's start changing the aging narrative together. Welcome to today's podcast, everyone. I have an incredible guest on here and we are going to have a very important conversation and a conversation around healthcare and women and how sometimes there's a bit of a disconnect here. So before I bring Susan on, I just want to share a little bit more about her. Of course, you'll be able to see um, her bio in the show notes. So Susan Salinger is an author and researcher behind the book Sideline, How Women Can Navigate a Broken Healthcare System. Sideline examines the many ways in which some women manage and sometimes mismanage their (laughs) healthcare. Susan explores how women typically, the medical gatekeepers of their family, tend to be extremely conscientious about taking care of themselves, yet at the same time, inadvertently undermine their own care. They often hesitate to call the doctor when they don't feel well, or they worry that their doctor visit will take time away from their family and their work. They may hesitate to ask doctors the necessary questions and don't always comply with the doctor's instructions. So Susan's research reveals how conflicted many women are about the medical decisions they ultimately make. And so today we're going to have a really good conversation about that, (laughs) but a little bit about Susan. She was born and raised in Los Angeles, and she attended UCLA to study English. After graduation, she worked alongside her husband, Fred, for 25 years at their production (laughs) company, Salinger Films, which produced corporate training and development films distributed worldwide. Today, at age 81, Susan lives in North California to be near her incredible family, which includes her two daughters, four grandchildren, a cat named Max, and a dog named um, JD. I love that. When she's not speaking about her book or spending time with family and friends, you will find Susan powerlifting to stay in shape. So Susan, welcome, welcome. You have such an incredible background and it's begging the question for me is can you share a little bit about how you went from working 25 years with your husband in the film industry and now you've written a book and and you're helping to empower women to navigate their health care uh, how, how does one go from that to this? What happened? There must be something between those two dots. Well, there was, but it was kind of a journey, an unexpected journey, I guess you would say. Years and years and years ago, when I was in my 30s or even my early 40s, I agreed to have some unnecessary surgery. I say unnecessary because I knew I didn't need it. 
But the doctor insisted on doing some exploratory surgery. And I agreed. I got frightened. So I'm, and not only did I agree, even though I thought he was wrong, but I insisted it be done sooner rather than later. All right. So I had the surgery. Everything was fine. It turned out I was right. I didn't need it. I just went back on some old medication and everything was fine. But I was ashamed of myself and I was just really surprised that I had made that decision. It's not like mm. me at all to do that. All right. So, you know, I had two young kids. Life goes on. I forgot about it. Fred and I were in the film business and we worked together. But and after 25 years, I decided we sold the business and I decided to retire. And that lasted for, you know, two seconds, maybe three. Work <laughs> at all. I've only known you for like half an hour and I can tell you were such a go-getter. All right. And what, what, what it sounds like there was a hiccup. <laughs> what happened? Yes, it was really. I thought I was gonna I don't know what I thought of. I didn't think. Let's just leave it at that. So I decided just again to make a long story short, my family said if I didn't go do something they were gonna kill me because I was bugging everybody because I was so bored. So I went mm -hmm. back to school and I was planning actually to get a doctorate either in English or psych. I truly didn't know which because I've always been interested in both. And I just went like to extension. I wanted to take a couple of English classes, English lit classes. I want to take a couple of psych classes, but they were both full and I couldn't get in even as an undergraduate class. I mean, it was, you know, they're popular majors. So I ended up in anthropology just because it was the only thing that was available other than accounting, engineering, which I couldn't have cared less about. So in the anthropology <laughs> class, it turned out I just, I love anthropology. I had no idea. I had never taken it as a kid. And I ended up somehow in medical anthropology classes. One of the oh, teachers there sort of became a mentor, um, one of the professors. And it was interesting. And so for one of those classes, I mean, I told you, it's a long story. For one of those classes, I did a project with women who had had hysterectomies. And some of them had agreed to that surgery, even though they didn't think they needed it. In fact, one woman okay. was positive she didn't need it. She was positive her symptoms were just menopause. The doctor disagreed mm -hmm. anyway, so she had the hysterectomy. So that, of course, reminded me of my original issue, which was that I had had a, and I, you know, I thought to myself, how do we as women make our medical decisions? I mean, here, I agreed to have surgery. I didn't need hers was irreversible. I mean, mine was was just a blip. Hers, you can't, you know, scotch tape your uterus back in. Um, wow. So I really interviewed about 50 or 60 more women and with different diseases. And I did that on purpose because I was interested in the behavior. I'm not interested in the, I wasn't interested in the particular disease. I wanted to know if there were underlying behavioral traits that as women, we share when we're ill. And sure enough, there okay. were. And so, so let me just clarify, when you were interviewing them, was this part of your studies or was this no. now your concept that you wanted to write a book? Correct. I After I interviewed the, the few women with the hysterectomies, I thought to myself, my question was, how do how do we make our decisions? And the only way to answer that was to do some research because I could see some similarities in the women I interviewed for the hysterectomy. But then I wanted more women because, you know, you never know. I didn't know these women who I, I'd never met them before. So maybe their answers were off the wall. I mean, I had no idea. It was only just a few women. So I really wanted to know what women as, as, as sort of as a group think, although, of course, we're all different. Yeah. 
But so I did interview, I think, 50, 60 women, which is a substantial number. Yes. And found many traits that, that we all share in common when we're ill, regardless of the particular disease. So that was sort of what, the journey what, to what the book. What are those? Yeah. And is well, that the first what, one that, what's a couple that I'm come sorry, to mind that surprised again. you? I'm I'm losing you. I'm so sorry. Oh, sorry. Um, what what uh, are some of the traits that you found like surprised you that come to mind? Yeah. Well, I think the one that's one of the ones that surprised me was that women put themselves last because I, I mean we go mm -hmm. to the doctor more often than men. We're diligent about our health care, but yet when something's wrong, we take care of ourselves last. You know, women mm -hmm. do eighty percent of the caretaking in the world, not just in in your country or mine, but in the world. Wow. And so it's it was shocking to me that we put ourselves last. There was a study done um, where researchers gave women five. I think it was five things to prioritize. You know, what would they put for, who would they take care of first? And the first thing everybody said they would take care of was their um, their children, of course. Then their yep. pets, which I loved. That I mean, that's second, believe it or not. Um, oh. Then they had to take care of their elderly parents. And as an elderly parent, I did not like being third, I have to tell you. But anyway, and then fourth, they take care of their significant <laughs> others. rank above pets, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I certainly would have put elderly parents first, but I have a narrow perspective, I agree. But then last but <laughs> not least, they take care of themselves. And, you know, even the airlines tells you, you know, put on your own mask before you put on your child's. So I, you can't take care of everybody else when you when if you feel Absolutely. like crap it's not gonna work um, exactly know, well as you know with fabulous at 50 of course any of the programs or any of the messaging that we have it's so vital that we give from our overflow like one of the things that i right. keep sharing is that our taking care of ourselves. that term self-care is not selfish it's vital right because it is we are vital. no good to anyone. We end up right. being a burden, which is what most women don't want to be if exactly. we don't take for ourselves first yes. and then give from that overflow. And I must admit, it's a lesson I've learned certainly in the last decade or so. And, yeah. and we really do. We, we show up in the world and we can share so much more when we do that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. So what are you finding? Like, so you got, you had these interviews and 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 you're seeing these commonalities like where did that lead you like it was it suddenly like i need to write a book on this like what was the main messaging you wanted to get out yeah. there based on this knowledge you had well you know one of the things i learned two things before i wrote the book one when i was in the, the anthropology classes academics write for each other and a lot of this wonderful medical information that I really thought women needed to know was not getting out there because I've always followed medicine. I've always been interested in it. And there's some really good stuff about how women get the short end of the stick frequently, at least in, in our country. I don't know in yours. Um, and I was I, I thought yeah, that's a, sure. And I, I'm not surprised, you know, and I really thought to myself, these issues need to be publicized. Women need to know about this. And then the other thing I really want, uh, wanted to share was as I did the research to see if there was research behind some of the conclusions I was drawing. 
And there was a tremendous amount of research. And now there was even more information out there that women mm-hmm. didn't know. And they, and I think that it's important to know everything you can about how the system treats women, sometimes well, sometimes not so good. Um, and I think it's important so that you go in with your eyes open. So many of the mm-hmm. women said to me, well, you know, my doctor knows best. And, you know, that may, frequently they do and sometimes they don't. And you need to know about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and sometimes just getting a second opinion and whether that, it, you Absolutely. know, like, yeah, yeah. There's, did you find there's a hesitation? Like, is it that they're embarrassed? They don't want to offend the doctor or what exactly. were the reasons when people aren't well, getting a second know, opinion? They, they were, they don't want to hurt the doctor's feelings. They didn't want to be rude. They didn't want to be labeled a difficult patient. That one woman said she would never get a second opinion. She was afraid it would go on her chart and follow her, you know, throughout her medical mm. career, so to speak. That's sad. You know, women were socialized to play nice, to take care of everybody. So we find ourselves maybe taking care of the doctor as well. Um, we're taught not to be not to be rude. How does that go if you can't say it with honey or don't something about vinegar and honey? But in other words, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it. Um, all those things. And incidentally, just so everybody out there knows, not all doctors object to you getting a second opinion. I was on a podcast with the doctor and she said she loves it when 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 patients get a second opinion. For one thing, it validates her or not her diagnosis. And secondly, if there's ever a mal- medical malpractice suit, she has backup. So for, yeah. for both reasons, yeah. it, was, it was, she likes it. So there you go. You know, yeah. something that I never yeah. considered. We frankly. definitely have, and it's interesting. We definitely have different, like in Canada, we have a different medical system. We don't have the same mm-hmm. issues with insurance. It's not like basic right. medical care. I mean, you show up, right. you can be someone homeless on the street or businessman, right. you're going to go in, you're going to get work. Yeah. Maybe not, but it's humans that are still behind the stethoscopes and yes. the doctors yes. and the nurses and so forth. And there's always going to be human biases, right? So, um, but I know for myself within the healthcare system, you know, within the oncology system was what my expectation was. Um yeah, second opinions, sometimes just within our, our own clinics, like, you know, very large clinics or, or so was welcome. In fact, um, you know, it's not unheard of, interesting enough, where sometimes people were like, I'm going to go off to the States or go do something and they go right, and they, right, they come right. back and they're like, and they're like, okay, yeah, they're going to do the same as what you're going to do. Right. So for people, it's fine though, because it's so important that when you take a step, if you're going this medical route, and I know that many people within our fab community actually follow a lot of complimentary, which I absolutely, I'm I'm very much a both hands. So that's why I'm having this conversation. There's like, when we talk about, there's like, I don't, I don't really use the word alternative medicine. Because it's okay. not an either or. It depends on what I you're. I agree needing, with you, right? Like, mm-hmm. right? It's kind of like yeah. it's like talking about. Well, do I need my shoes or do I need my hat today? Right. Well, the yes. reality is you probably need both, and they do example. different purposes. Right. 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 So no, I agree with my you example. fully. It's cold out. It's for the same situation. It's cold out. Which do I need? Well, you probably need both. But today we're talking more about the medical system. When we need something, something's got serious enough. And I think, you know, a second opinion 
can be validating. But the other Mm -hmm. thing, and what I used to let my clients or patients know about is occasionally I said, the doctor is going to come in and you two are going to make a decision together. And I think this Mm -hmm. is changing because I've been a nurse long enough that it used to be a little bit more, oh, the doctor knows best and everybody just did what the doctor did. Right. It's changing here too. Yeah. Like the doctor and the nurses and healthcare professionals and, you know, various other designations, what they're doing is they're there to consult with you to say, Mm -hmm. in my best knowledge, this is what, it's up to you whether you want it, right? This is what I think you do. Now, there are some things where across the board, it's like you ask 10 people, they're all going to give you the same answer. Yes. However, there's other things where it's like, well, we can come at it from this angle. We can come at it from that angle. Right. So now the question is, you could get 10 different opinions. Which one do you choose? And no one is more right. It's which one is right for you. Would you agree on that? I would agree on that. And I think that the question of which one is right for you is, is from my research is critical because if you're comfortable with the diagnosis and with the treatment, you're much more likely to comply and follow through with it. And compliance is a big deal. Um, a lot of, a lot of people, men and women don't follow their doctor's instructions and can die as a result. I mean, that's, Tell me if you agree on this one. I personally believe from what I've witnessed, because you've done way more research, is I believe we use pharmaceuticals way more than needed because people don't comply with, meaning they don't follow the recommended prescription. So something as simple right. as diabetes or prediabetes right. or, yeah. or insulin resistance, if we lose 20 pounds, and we actually change our eating habits right. and we change our exercise habits. Right. We don't necessarily need to go on the hyper anti-glycemics, right? right? We yes. don't need to go in. We don't need to. It, it's phenomenal the amount of issues we have. So like, what did you see in your research? Like what percentage did you see of, of the illnesses um, related to stress and lifestyle? Did you see a big correlation? Yes and no. And the the reason I'm saying that, what I I found, which is almost a sidebar to what you're saying, and I will get back to your question, but I found that women, many of the women felt very ashamed about being ill. The reason they felt so much shame, and here's where we sort of, the, the questions come together, is they felt that they were sick because they couldn't manage their stress. And whether that was true or not, I had no way, nor did they, quite frankly, of evaluating. But they were sure that the reason they were ill was because their lives were out of control. These are their words, not mine. And and, yeah. and they felt that their illness was almost like a public acknowledgement. Look, world, I'm sick. Now all of you can see that I can't manage my life. And mm. while there is definitely a correlation, as you well know, between stress and your immune system and, and illness, there is also, I mean, stri- uh, illness can be genetic, illness can be, some people get COVID and some don't, and some are stressed and don't get COVID and some aren't stressed and do, and yes. some alcoholics get liver disease and some don't, I mean, I could go on and on about, the, how about yeah. people who never smoke that get lung cancer? I mean, so you really can't say that this disease is my fault. I mean, and it may be, you may be overweight and you may never exercise. And that could be why you got diabetes. But on the other hand, a lot of people who do all those things get diabetes anyway. 
So, right, you know, right. before you what blame I'm yourself. Hearing, yeah. What I'm hearing you say, though, is one of the biggest, I think, heart-wrenching results of all of this is um, the shame that women are yes. carrying around yes. for being ill. Yes. As if, yes. well, wait a minute, I can't be the sick one because I'm supposed to be the caregiver. And that's exactly what people told me. I'm supposed to be the caregiver. I'm not supposed to receive the care. I'm supposed to give the care. And that's I exactly that a lot. What, Yeah, I'll bet. I'll bet. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I sometimes, sometimes we, we all get ill, you know, period. Yeah. 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 I'll share with you a brief one. So I, I've taken a hard line sometimes in a sense to get somebody out of that if I have to. And if I know that they're sitting with a loving family and I can really tell that they are, the family's being torn because this person is being so stoic and not, yes. and is rejecting their support. Mm -hmm. I have gone so far as to look at them and say, why are you being selfish? And they're like, yes, taking yes. it back. They're like, yes. what do you mean? And I'm like, yes. well, if your daughter or your, I pick someone that they love, I go, if they were ill and they were rejecting all the love you want to pour on them, how would you mm -hmm. feel? And then suddenly she breaks into tears and the family breaks into tears. But it was right. like that eggshell that needed to be cracked open so that they could have a compassionate conversation. Where on yep. one hand, when someone's not well, you need to let them do what they can for them, but you need to support them. But it still has to be within their realm. And the person that's ill needs to also yes. be willing to accept the support, right? So, right, right. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think one of the things, and I just want to interject this for a minute. I put together a bunch of focus groups. I mean, not for any fabulous reason, except that I wanted geographic diversity. So, you know, we got people from the north, from the northeast and the northwest and et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things, in fact, the thing that really surprised me the most was that almost, I won't say none, but almost none of the women had ever talked with anybody else about their illness other than their doctor. Oh. And that blew me away. I mean, first of wow. all, I tell everybody everything. I mean, you want to ask how I am and I, you know, I say, how much time do you have? <laughs> you know? But the reality is I was shocked and I didn't even, I had hired oh, a facilitator wow. and we, she barely was needed, was needed because everybody, they were so happy to hear other women. Again, they all had different diseases, but they were so happy yeah. to hear that other women shared their feelings. None of them had allowed themselves to gain support or to be supported. And that, that really did oh. surprise me. That was probably the most shocking thing that I, that I came across that and the shame. That breaks my heart. Things. That really it does. does. My, that it is, did mine too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It did mine well, too. And that, what it does is also, you know, I'm just going to put a little plug in here for things like what you're doing and what Fabulous at 50 stands for. And I know some other really amazing women's organizations out there where if you are a woman and you are feeling like you are alone and you are, are you not being heard and you want a safe space? That's why we have the Fab Soul Sisterhood, the Fab Soul Circle group. So right. that we can come right. together. We focus on building each other up in the joyful side, but every once in a while, it's like, if you have something going on, you have a safe place where you can share it and you're going to be supported. Right. So and I, I, I want to just, 
I, I want to add to that because I'm, I, I mean, I agree it's not a hundred percent, but a thousand percent. But I think mm. that when you withhold how you're really doing, when people say to you, how, and I don't mean in a cocktail party, obviously, but when yes. people say to you, how are you doing? And you just say, fine. I think that's a selfish answer because sometimes people really want to know and yeah. you're denying them the opportunity to give and you're denying yourself the opportunity to receive. And, you know, I, I mean, I, we all feel good when we give to other people. So if you blow me off and tell me you're just fine, you're hurting me in a certain sense. It's, it's yeah. Um, interesting. Yeah, it, I, right. I, I really feel that very strongly. And I've yeah. observed no, it. No, I can I mean, see I really that. Did. I can tell. Yeah. And I, I love what you're doing. So I have two, three more questions before we'll get close to winding up. My one question right now is if you if you could, for somebody that's never heard of the book and might be interested in reading it, can you just give them a summary? Like when once they've read this book, what will they get out of this book? What what will it's a great question? Them? Nobody's asked me that before, and I really like that. A couple of mm -hmm. things. You'll learn to put your I hope. I'm going to say, I hope you'll learn to put yourself first. Not only will you learn the benefits of second opinions, but you'll learn how to get them. There are certain methods that I think are will work the best for you, no matter who you are or where you are. Third, you'll learn how to communicate with your doctor a little more effectively and how to take in. You've got to go in with a list and, and a written list of your symptoms yes. and how to do your research. And the, yeah. the communication is real is very, very important. And I think the other thing I want you'll learn is how to do your research. And I think that doing your own research is critical. Um, let me tell you about my thumb story because it illustrates truly the importance of research, which is I'm one of those lucky women that have never had pain. So one morning I wake up and my thumb hurts. Uh oh, oh, you're, you're really <laughs> lucky not having pain, by the way. Oh, I know. I'm I jealous. couldn't read it. Okay. So I've never had pain, very rarely. And so one morning I wake up and my thumb hurts and I thought, you know, Sue, you're 80 at the time. Now I'm 81, but at the time I was 80 and I thought, you know, stuff happens. But a month or so later, it was still hurting. And because I'm a little neurotic about illness, I thought I had bone cancer. So I ran to the doctor. I went to a rheumatologist just in case, hopefully that, you know, I figured she'd know bone cancer if she saw it. Anyway, she did an x-ray and sure enough, I did have arthritis. Um, and so she recommended a particular medication and I'm on Lexapro for depression. And so I said, you know, is this medication going to interfere with the Lexapro at all? And she said, no, not in the least. Don't worry. So I, you know, happily go home. But because I wrote this book and I thought, you know, put your money where your mouth is. I better do what I say. Yeah, so practice I went and you preach. It's the truth, really. So I thought, well, I'll look it up. And I looked it up and she was mostly right. I mean, 99% of the people have no issue. But the other 1% get a, get a brain bleed. Well, now, this was a thumb that I hadn't even taken a Tylenol for, and I was not willing to risk a brain bleed. I mean, it was just not going to happen. So I didn't. I mean, I, I actually threw out the medication. But my point is, she didn't tell. She she was right, mostly, but she did not tell me all of the benefits and all of the risks. She only told me the benefits, a few of the benefits. And I think it's so important to do your own research because the doctor wants you to follow their prescription and you can back me up on this or not. And so they, they may be less likely to tell you all of the risks. I don't know that I would really tell somebody about a 1% chance unless you're the 1%, then it's a yeah. little tricky. 
Yeah. So yeah, 1% is still, I, I get what you're saying. And, and I think this begs to highlight the importance of multidisciplinary support in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is not, doctors are not pharmacists, right? Like they're doctors, right. they know about all this, but for me, and, and certainly within Canada, like our tendency is the doctor prescribes this to the best of their knowledge that these medications are okay, right. but it's always with that caveat, check with your pharmacist. And so yes. all the pharmacists, yes. at least in the province, I mean, different provinces, we have healthcare per province, not per yeah. federal. I see. Oh, I see. And yeah, so each province takes care of it. And within Alberta, where I am, it, you can bring up all the pharmacy. It doesn't matter which pharmacy you go to, it's all connected. So I because see. there was accidental stuff that you got a drug from this pharmacy and a drug from that pharmacy. And if you're not sure. telling, sometimes people don't tell the doctor what drugs they're still taking from a different doctor. So it's the pharmacist's job when they give you a new prescription to, to screen whether or not there's any interactions. So, right. but you yourself, as the patient, as the client needs to really look at that. So, you know, I would put out there kind of on your behalf, you know, saying you're talking about educate yourself and research is your research could simply be going to the pharmacist and saying, I have all these different medications. Yes. Or the doctor started me on this one, but I have this one from a different doctor. Should I still be taking them? And your pharmacist can be a really good advocate to be able to even reach out and go, you don't need to be taking all of these. You need to be maybe down to these three and they can communicate with the doctor as well. So right. I think the, the biggest thing that I'm hearing here is advocacy. The other thing I heard yes. is when you yes. were talking about your book and what your book can do, it can help you as an individual. But if, if you're well, but you're taking care of your mom or you're taking care of your auntie or somebody else, right. this right. book is helpful because even if you're yes. being an advocate for somebody else, the biggest thing that I'm taking away is be educated and know that you have choices. And so before we wind up, because I can't believe our time is coming to an end here. We could just talk. I think we could talk for another hour, but I'd always love to end every episode with um, some tips of wisdom. So Susan, what would be your sort of three tips? I'm choosing a number. I think my first one is exactly what you said. Be sure you advocate for yourself. You've only got one body and it's yours. And your job really is to take the best care of it that you can and to make sure that you get the most effective health care that you can. And that really involves listing your symptoms so that you're clear about what they are when you go to the doctor. It involves, for example, repeating back what you hear the doctor say. One thing I didn't even get get to mention is that 85% of women leave the doctor's office without fully understanding what they've been told. And that's that's horrifying. So if you repeat back what you say. Tell me that statistic. 85%. Right. 85% don't fully. Un- oh, Purple. let me put it the other way. Only 15% of women will tell the doctor that they don't understand something. But that means that 85% don't. And that's horrifying because you really need to have a full understanding of what you have, why you've been prescribed, why your treatment is what it is. 
Um, so if you repeat back what you heard the doctor say, that gives you a chance to be sure you heard correctly. It gives the doctor a chance to confirm or correct anything that you may have misheard. Or maybe the doctor misspoke. We all do. They may not have said what they thought they were saying. So it's really a good practice to do that. And I also, what another is thing. Wise I, advice. I, th I think so. I mean, truly I do. And the third yeah. thing that I, and, and this is, these are all tips, I guess it's kind of a, an answer to your question is yeah. besides do your own research, but try to take somebody with you so that you can hear. Yes. Um, it, four ears are better than two. And if you're like me, you get so anxious. I don't always hear. I always take, I, well, I used to take my husband or now I take my kids, uh, whatever. I think it's a really important thing to do. But oh, the, it's the so party, important. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say the party healthcare, message. Uh, healthcare, um, sorry, professionals, at least within the area I worked, especially if they're going to be delivering some unfortunate news, they want somebody right. there. It would be like, right. didn't you bring someone? We want someone to know. And right. especially when we're right. talking about, like, there's a difference between you're going for a quick checkup. You know, like I have yes. a sore throat. Yes. yes, you have that. Right. But right. when you're going right. for some big stuff and you're seeing a specialist, you want to right. go, you want to know your options. I don't know what it's like there, but um, our practice, it was that as long as you ask permission first, you don't just do a secret recording. But if you right. ask uh, permission first, many doctors will happily say, yes, you can record so that right. you can listen because they know when they're the minute they say you have xyz diagnosis you know and it's right something yes. that's serious boom that's gone in fact i would start every one of my you know when i bring a, a patient into the room i would say just so you know we are aware that you will probably retain 10 percent of what is said today Right. So that right. exactly not scared exactly. about asking questions, but unless the healthcare professional prefaces it that way, yes, unless right. they set the tone, I think it's really important. There's a lot of healthcare professionals out there that they're so rushed and they're so busy. They're just kind of in yes. there doing their thing. And yes. we've lost a lot of that ability to share the compassion we want to say, Hey, we get what you're going through. We, right. We're here to hold your hand and help you. Right. So right. No, I, I really think that's so love, important. Yeah. I love that your book sounds like it really is inspiring women and empowering women to be more proactive so. in their health. Very much so. That That is my yeah. hope and my goal. Or it was Amazing. my goal and it is my hope. Yeah. So now here's a question you weren't expecting. So I'm going to put you on the okay. spot. What's next? Do you have a different project? Oh. Where Where are you headed with all of this? Well, I'm writing book two as we speak. Okay. And it's really about gaslighting that women in the United States in particular, I don't know about Canada, often feel dismissed, ignored, brushed off. Um, and so I'm writing about that. I've started with, with people, women who have heart attacks and how they, even if they go to the emergency room with the same symptoms as a man, they wait longer to be treated, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's, it's really important. Um, Absolutely. Well, what often happens is, is even, you, you know, that's where they go the same is women have different symptoms, but there has not been as much study or research for women. Right. So right. That could, we're going to go down a whole new rabbit hole. 
We're not going to do that today. We're focusing on the book called Sideline. So please check your show notes. You've been here listening to Susan Salinger, who is just a powerhouse of a woman who is stepping up, using her own experience and her own voice uh, to be able to advocate for other women. And so Susan, I so appreciate you and the work you're doing. And I really... I, I'm going to earmark when that next book comes on it. I, I'll let I, you know. Absolutely, <laughs> you be in touch. I want to get you back on the show so we can talk about Lovely. Gaslight. Because I, I don't think there's a woman listening today that doesn't know the feeling at some point in time in her yes. life of being gaslighted. Right. And, right. Uh, you know, I know it happened to me lots before I even knew what the term was. Once I sure. heard the term, I went, I oh, know. my word. Like, that's incredible. <laughs> well, so thank, thank, you thank you very much. Thank All you right. for having me. I really appreciate it. That's I appreciate it. No past tense. <laughs> Take, Take care. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. But before you leave, I'm curious. What pearl of wisdom are you taking away from today's episode? I do hope it held some inspiration or information for you to live your best life. If you are not yet part of our sisterhood, I invite you to join our community by visiting our website, fabulousat50.com, and you'll receive a free copy of our ebook, Make Mind Fabulous, 21 Ways to Energize Your Life. It is packed with loads of tips and tricks. Plus, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review to let us know what you think. Remember, keep choosing fabulous. It's never too late to live the life you deserve. Catch you on the next episode.